we praise you. We thank you that it is well with our soul. Because we know we belong to you and you hold us in the hollow of your hand, safe and secure. We thank you so much, Lord, that our sin, not in part, but in whole, the whole ugly thing, was nailed to your cross. We bear it no more. Therefore, we say, praise the Lord. It is well. It is well. It is well with our soul. Hallelujah. Our sins are forsaken. Our sins are forgotten. The blood has made us whole. The blood has washed us whiter than snow. And we rejoice. There's no more condemnation, no more shame or accusation. Because of the blood of Jesus and His victory on the cross, we declare it is well, it is well, it is well. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Let's give Jesus a hand clap. Hallelujah. It is well. It is well. It is well. Hallelujah. Lord. Amen. May be seated. Hallelujah. It is well. It is well. Hey. When heaven's secure, it is well. Amen. When the sins are gone, it is well. When you don't have to worry about being judged for the crazy things you did before Jesus, it is well. He bore the guilt, the shame, everything else. Wow. It is well. It is well. Life's not always easy, but it is well. The devil's a liar. It is still well. Amen. Because of what Jesus did on that cross. Those of us that receive Him and believe Him, we can just shout and sing in the storm, after the storm, you name it, in the face of the storm. It is well. Because Jesus holds us. It is well. The Lord is going to finish the work He began in us. It is well. The blood, the blood, the blood. It hasn't lost its power. It is well. Man, praise the Lord. Oh, glory to God. Well, good evening. Welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Acts chapter 20, I want to start the second part of this series that we are in. We're talking about the um, measuring of a minister, the measuring of a minister. And we're looking at the Apostle Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. And we've already began with um, the first Roman numeral, the review of the past. And this evening we want to start with the testimony of the present. So if you have your Bibles, Acts 20, and let's start right there with um, verse 18. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, though I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. And I've declared to both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now verse 22, this begins our fresh section. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing, if only... I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of His grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel 
or the whole will of God. Wow. Father, we thank you for your word. Speak to us. Teach us. Help us to grow. Help us to mature in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let's look at um, Roman numeral 2, the testimony of the present. Now, Paul, we've looked at the review of the past. The review of the past where Paul talked about his motive, his manner, and his message. His motive, he said, I come to serve the Lord. My motive is to please and glorify God. And when my motive and your motive is to please God, the manner in which we express that will, will affect you. Uh, how I treat you is, is affected because I want to please the Lord. If my motive is to please God and to do the will of God, then how I treat you will be affected by that. And Paul wrote about not only the, 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 the ministry of wanting to please Christ, his motive, but the manner. He said, through tears and in humility, I served and I gave my all, but I did it unto the Lord. And then lastly, we were looking at the message, the message, and Paul's message, and we studied that. But now we want to look at the testimony of the present, where Paul, he's going to give us um, a few pictures, illustrations. Here they are. We're going to look at these the next few weeks. Paul gives us some illustrations of what ministry is like to help us understand, you know, the, the ministry from his perspective. You see, verse 22 begins with, and now, and it kind of changes the tone. But Paul's going to talk about, number one, he says, I, I count or consider, like an accountant. Paul says, like an accountant. Serving God, we're going to weigh the eternal and the temporal, and we're going to choose the eternal. We're going to put everything we ever do on the scale of the eternal. And I'm always going to ask myself, what will matter a hundred years from now? And everything I do, the way I live, the choices I make is all determined. Because like an accountant, I'm going to weigh things here and what really matters. Secondly, like a runner, he says, I want to finish my race. It's not enough just to start it. I want to finish it. Amen. And like Jesus finished his work, I want to finish my work. And I hope you want to finish your work and finish strong in this race as a runner. As a steward, he says, I'm a manager. God has entrusted to you and I a task a calling, a ministry, a life, and one day we will stand before God and be accountable with how we use that life and how we fulfill that ministry. So Paul's going to describe himself as a, an accountant, a runner, a steward, a witness. He's a witness. A witness tells what happened to him. And he's going to declare, like someone under Solomon, what happened to him when Christ came into his life. What happened to him since he met the Lord. And, of course, he's a herald. He's a preacher. We're all called to preach. Tell others about Jesus. Amen. Tell others about the gospel. And then lastly, we'll get to in a couple of weeks, he says, I'm a watchman. I'm a watchman. I have to be alert and look out. There's an enemy out there. I've got to protect those. God's entrusted to me. I've got to do the, fulfill the duty. So testimony of the present. Again, Paul, he's giving a farewell address. Three parts to the address. He reviews the past. We covered that. Now the testimony of the present. You see verse 22. It begins with that phrase, and now, and now. And that kind of shifts the emphasis from the past to the present. And Paul's going to start opening up his heart and tell his friends how he feels. He's speaking about, he's expressing the burden of his heart. How he's driven to do the will of God in spite of opposition. You see, it says, and now I'm compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen. What I do know is the Spirit has warned me, you're going to face some trials. You're going to face some trouble. And um, John 9 and 4, John 9 and 4 just begins this phase. And again, he's opening up his heart now. And I want to look at these words of Jesus. And I want you in your um, thinking to underline the word must. He says, I must. I must. And a man or woman really meets Christ and I must comes into his soul. 
If anyone's ever called to preach the gospel, there's an I must. Not an I can when it's convenient. Not maybe if I've not, not got nothing else to do. There is a driving force. There is a divine urgency. There is a holy compulsion that the Spirit of God puts within. And Jesus, these are the words of Jesus, says, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day, while I can do them. Nighttime is coming when no one can work. And Paul had the same thing in his heart. So I must preach the gospel. I know the Spirit's warning me that people are going to um, try to hinder me and the enemy's going to try to attack me, but I can't be moved by those things. I, I can't just give up and, and compromise this of those things because there's an I must driving me. Paul said the love of Christ compels me. It drives me. Folks, when someone gets on fire for Jesus, they're going to find an I must in their hearts. Amen? There's something that moves them, something that stirs them. What's that old song we used to sing? Um, and the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And a lot of things that used to matter don't matter. And all of a sudden, there's a whole new desire that burns within you. I want to know God. I want to please God. I want to tell others about God. What happened? The I must of heaven just got birthed within your soul. Paul had this. And you need this because if you don't have this, as soon as opposition comes, I'm turning back home. Amen? As soon as the attack comes, I don't forget about this. And so here we got Paul. He begins by, by simply saying, and now, even though I got trials, even though there's going to be pressures, I must go to Jerusalem. Now, again, we see in verse 22 and 23 the devotion and the courage, the enduring commitment of God's servant, the willingness of Paul even to suffer for Christ. Even to suffer for Christ. What are we willing to do in order to please Christ? What are we willing to do to complete the task God has given us? Where we're so flippant in this, in this Laodicean age of the church in this lukewarm era in which we live, where I mean if things aren't just right, people backslide. Oh my, the early church was burned at the stake and they burned at the stake singing, what a good God we serve. I mean, they, they went, they went into the arena, but that devil couldn't get them to go back on their, on their love for God. You see what I'm getting at? Paul is describing this here. Look if you would at Acts 14, 21 through 22. Acts 14, 21 through 22. Because we start out this section of our letter. And we see within Paul there's a burden, there's a burning desire, there's an urgency from heaven that drives him. And even though the enemy will try to hinder him, he's got something greater on the inside that refuses to give up, that refuses to turn away. He's going to press on and get the job done. Amen? And here we see... Again, this is what they preached to the church. This was not just something that the apostles had, but the apostles, if we study our Bibles, they did not paint an unrealistic picture. They did not give unrealistic and untrue promises to that early church. When they got saved, they warned them. Things won't always be easy, but God's still good. The enemy won't give you a break just because you, you sing real pretty, um, but God is still on the throne. Amen? And so Paul says, we preach the good news in a certain city, and we want a large number of disciples. He says, a lot of people got saved, and then we went back to all these other towns where we had established churches, and this is what they preached in the Bible days. Verse 22, we strengthen the disciples and we encourage them to remain true to the faith for we must all go through many hardships or many tribulations. The word in the Greek is philipsis. It means great pressure, great pressures to enter the kingdom of God. 
From where we sit today to enter in and see Him face to face, we're going to go through some things. Amen? And if you don't have something in your heart that loves Jesus more than anything else, you'll go back to Egypt, you'll backslide, you'll make excuses. But only those that endure to the end are going to be saved, the Bible says. Amen? You can, you know, you can, you can make your theology real short and simple. Those that finish strong, they're saved. Amen? Those that didn't finish, well, they didn't have the goods. Amen? Because only the finishers are going to make it in. Somebody say amen. But I want you to see in the early church, they didn't paint some rosy picture. They told them the truth. They got saved and they encouraged you remain true to the faith. Anyone else walk out on you, you stay close to Jesus. The devil can knock you down, give you a bad report physically, you stay close to Jesus. You might get laid off at the job, they might lie about you like they did to Joseph. You stay true to Jesus. I mean, I got to, what happens? You stay true to the faith. Why, Paul? Isn't this a, a, a picnic? No, it's a warfare. It's a conflict. Amen? And he says, we must, we must, everyone, even great apostles, everyone, we must all go through many hardships. There's things out there that will try to deter our faith. There's things out there that will try to keep you from obeying God and fulfilling your calling God for some to turn their backs on God. But if you want to enter that kingdom, you've got to have an enduring spirit. You've got to have a persevering spirit like, like Paul did, like Paul did. Now, as, as we walk down these next few verses... I want us to note descriptions and pictures that Paul used to describe his ministry and to explain why he would not quit, why he refused to turn back or compromise his call. Instead, he went on and even was willing to die if necessary for Christ. I love how he says that, um, how does the, the King James, and none of these things moved me. Amen. I mean, the Spirit said they're going to persecute you. They're going to afflict you. They're going to attack. Paul said, none of these things move me. All that matters is that I please the Lord. Amen. All that matters. They can write about me. They can lie about me. All that matters is I hear, well done, thy good and faith. That's all that's going to matter. Folks, I'm going to ask you something. A hundred years from now, what will matter? There's enduring spirit to the true child of God. Now, looking at these pictures. Number one. Verse 24, verse 24, and he uses the word, I consider, I consider. Verse 24, he writes, however, I consider or I count. Some of you, I count. It's coming from the world of accounting. I consider or, or I count my life worth nothing. He says, not about me, but I want to finish the race and complete the task. That's what matters, right? That I finish this race faithful to the Lord and that I complete the task. He's called me to do. So we're going to notice this. Um, this comes from the business world. Again, this is the accountant. Paul says part of ministry is like being an accountant. I'm going to consider the future. I consider the eternal. And I consider what really matters. I build my life and I make my choices on what's going to matter. Not in this moment. Instant gratification. <laughs> That'll kill you. <laughs> That'll ruin a marriage. That'll take you to hell. No, no, it's not about instant gratification. It's about eternally pleasing the one who redeemed me. And so again, we see this is Paul, an accountant, is one who examines his assets and liabilities and decidedly put Christ first. As an accountant, he says, I considered, is it worth it? I'm counting. What really matters in the end? I'm examining my assets, my liabilities, and decidedly he puts Christ first ahead of everything. I evaluate and choose Jesus as my priority. You see, we, we count the cost. 
He weighed things and he chose Jesus. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? You know, I don't know about you, but I look around the world we live in, people selling out for a whole lot less than the world. I mean, that people selling out for... What does it profit a man to get, but lose your soul? So we learn from this picture to put things on the scale of the eternal when I make a decision. Will it be worth it in a hundred years? Will you be pleased with that decision you made when you stand before Jesus? Hmm. This is a testimony of total abandonment to Christ. Paul considered his life worth nothing as long as he could please and honor Christ with it. Wow. We used to sing that song, It will be worth it all when I see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One look at his dear face. All troubles will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Wow. Let's look at our verses very quickly. Number one, Matthew 6 and 33. That's a familiar verse for this point. And this is, teaches all of us that are Christians. Simple rule. Keep it simple. That walking with the Lord is not complicated. Put Jesus first. How about that? Amen? You don't need Greek, Hebrew. You don't need, um, you know, you don't need a seminar for this. If you put Jesus first, things start to unfold. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. As an accountant, we weighed things and we found out the pleasing of the Lord is more important than anything else. The obeying, to obey is better than, to obey God is worth more than anything else. So you know, we're going to put Jesus first. We're going to put them first in our homes. We're going to put them first in our marriages. Put them first in our finances. We're going to use our talents and our treasure. We're putting Jesus first. Isn't that simple? If we can just do that, we position ourselves from the rest. But now look at this. Look at uh, Philippians 3, 7 and 8. Here's another example of Paul using that same um, accountant. And, you know, maybe we've got some bookkeepers out there. So, some accountant language. He's saying, I consider and I count. And he gets the whole thing. Paul's not a dummy. Paul had a... See, Paul what was not was not broke, busted, and disgusted. Paul was acclaimed. Paul had prestige. Paul had, Paul had everything. He, he was somebody. But then he had an account with Christ and he realized all what he thought was something was really nothing compared to Christ. I mean, some people, you know, their, their life's a mess and a half, and it's like you're looking at it and like, hey, you're not too bright if you're not coming to Christ, but doing it your way really, I mean, is a mess. But other people do fairly decent, you know what I mean? But when you look at it from the perspective of eternity, you realize. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, you know what? But whatever was to my profit, all those other great things I had, he goes, I had a name and I had a title, I had prestige in the community, I had finances, I had all that thing. Power, profits, prestige, but whatever is to my profit, you know what? I now consider it a loss for the sake of Christ. Again, consider, there's that word, I count it. I count it lost, right? King James, I count it lost. I'm an accountant. I'm, I'm, I'm putting on the scale here. What's worth more? What I used to have and all my, or having Christ. And it goes on in verse 8. He says, what is more, I consider or I count everything a loss. Again, he's looking at life through the eyes of an accountant. 
He says, listen, you might think, oh, poor Paul, he's getting beat and he's getting stoned and he's got to suffer for the Lord. Paul says, poor you. When I get the glory, trust me, it will be worth it all when I see Jesus. Listen, you think it's all right? You can have the temporal things. I've got news for you. I've got a vision of a city whose builder and maker is God. Streets are pure as gold. You know, you might think I'm lacking here. You might enjoy what you have here. It's a whole lot better up there and I want it where it counts. Amen? All right. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared, compared. See, he's weighing this thing. He's comparing it compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake? For Jesus' sake. I've lost all things, but you know what? I actually consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. All those other things that I thought made me someone and it was all this. You know what? You can have that. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. Amen? Amen. Someday those things are over. But man, Jesus is forever. Let me give you one more. Here's an Old Testament illustration that we find in the New Testament. Hebrews 11. But here's another illustration of the account or weighing things. Weighing things. And that's why the devil... You know when they sell you something on TV, instant gratification. Why don't you go out and spend? You know that, right? Remember that old commercial, Geritol? Remember that, old, remember that commercial? They show you some lady, they look like she throw a bale of hay about 50 yards, amen? And what it's trying to say is, if you drink this, you can do that. You know, they're trying to sell you. Ooh, that's all it's going to take. Well, you know, you drank it and you know, you still couldn't touch. Anyway, anyway, still threw your back out. You know, back goes out more than you do, amen? Is that what they say? All right. Back goes out. Back goes out more than I do. Anyway. But the Christian looks at life through the eye and the lens of the eternal. We make our evaluations on the scale of the eternal. What does it profit a person but to lose? And so here we see this story from the life of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up. Listen, sooner or later, everybody's got to grow up. If we had a regular Sunday morning, I said, tell your neighbor, grow up. Sooner or later, we've got to grow up. Some people are 50 and 60. You've got to grow up. Some are 18. Time to grow up. You've got to grow up and put God first and get serious about what matters. Can you say amen? amen? When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. But somewhere along the line, I had to become a man. And I had to put away childish things. So by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, See, when you grow up, you can't live off mommy and daddy's faith anymore. When you grow up, you got to make your own commitments and your own devotions. Isn't that right? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. How many know in the natural, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter is a pretty good gig? Anybody? Anybody? Isn't that right? I'm I'm telling you. I mean, really? Has anyone here been a prince? I can't be half bad, right? Give it a shot for a week. Why not? Hey, he had all that. But remember, he's putting on the scale of the eternal now. What really matters a hundred years from now? You can be a prince, but you can only be a prince for so long. Sooner or later, in the sports, they say, Father, time is undefeated. And sooner or later, the Bible says it is appointed for a man one time to die. And then comes a judgment. So you can enjoy being that prince. Oh, that's nice. Ten years, twenty years, fifty years. Sooner or later, got to stand before the Almighty. I'd rather be a prince up there, huh? 
What's that next verse say? Moses. So Moses made a choice. Moses made a choice. He grew up and he had a choice to make with his life. On one hand, he was a prince. He might have been in line to be the next pharaoh. We don't know. He was certainly in the lineage. Things could have happened. He was, the history tells us, ancient history tells us, he was a great general. He led a wonderful battle against the Ethiopians. He he went to their West Point of his day. He was trained in the best universities, the Harvards of his day, hieroglyphics. Moses was, you're you're a prince. I mean, you go to good schools when you're a prince, amen? How many know that, all right? But he had to make a choice. He chose to identify or be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for this temporal short time. Wow, think about that. On one hand, it could have been a prince. Man, I can drive what I want to drive. He must have had a nice chariot, amen? He didn't have no Corolla chariot, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Moses wasn't driving no Corolla chariot, amen? That's for old Pastor Zeno, me and my Corollas, amen? I mean, I'm short, they fit me real good, and they get good mileage, but I'm telling you, I bet Moses, he didn't have no Corolla chariot, isn't that right? He didn't have to worry about how he's going to pay his school loans back either. Isn't that true? I mean, they had it. They just sent him. He had it good. But sooner or later, reality came to him where he realized there was more than just this life, than just this 40, 50, 70, 80 years. He realized there was a living God. And he had to make a choice. And he chose to identify with God's people. At that time, they were in prison. They were enslaved. They were persecuted. He says, I'll choose to identify with God's people. They might be laughed at as being kooky and self-righteous and they're out of touch, you know, with what's going on and all, you know, they're, they're all this and all. But he says, I'll, I'll make the choice. I'll identify with them rather to enjoy all these pleasures, even if it's their 30, 40, 50 years, comparing it to eternity, very short time, very short time. James says this life is like puff. It's a puff. You live to 80, 90 years old, life's quick. Eternity's forever. This life is quick. And Moses, so I had to make a choice. How do you make a choice? Well, you put it on the scale. What's going to matter for eternity? Oh, that might be real nice for the 20 years. What's going to matter in eternity? And the Bible says, he in fact, he regarded. Again, once he got things on the scale... He was able to make a proper evaluation, but now his evaluation came from the eternal perspective, not the temporal. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Because again, he put it on the right scale. As of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And man, Egypt had some treasures. They're still finding them when they open up these pyramids, right? But he said, you know what? It's of higher value to be persecuted for Jesus than to enjoy He put it on the right scale. Because the Bible says he was looking ahead. Catch that? Looking ahead. Not the immediate. Looking ahead to his reward. That's the reward that is lasting and eternal and greater than anything this earth can offer. Can you say amen? And that's what Paul had. That's what Paul had as a a follower of Christ. We all have to do this. Jesus said you count the cost. Don't just come to him willy-nilly. Count the cost. Be ready to give him your life. Seek him first and do his will. And that's what happens when we come to Christ. And then as we serve Christ, we've got to remember that. Because the world is always bombarding us with the temporal 
appeasement and satisfaction. They'll sell you anything. That's what commercials do, right? Their job is to somehow sway you to buy their product. And our whole culture is like that. You start listening to Hollywood wants to tell you what's in and what's not in. What in the world? They got anything to tell us. We got a book to tell us what God thinks. We get caught up in that. And then we begin to strive. We begin to strive for this and that. And our lives are... Where Paul says, you know what? I put it on the scale. And I find out Christ is what matters most. So number one, he says, I count or I consider. I count or I consider. I'm compelled by the Spirit. However, I consider my life worth nothing. If only I can finish my race. That leads us to the next thought. He says, not only an accountant, but I'm a runner in a race. A runner in a race. Now, just because you and I have weighed things and we've had this encounter with God and we recognize the eternal is the most important thing, now we still have this life on earth to run it out. Amen? It's not just a one-time decision we go to heaven. That would be convenient for some. It would be nice for others so we know they'd make it in. Amen? But no, normally we get saved and then we have a good lifetime that we've got to serve the Lord. And Paul describes the Christian's life, and Paul's not the only one, the Christian life as a runner. Not so much a sprinter, but we're, we're a marathon runner. Amen? This is a marathon. So we're going to look at this together. Paul, Paul writes here again, I consider my life worth nothing if only I might finish the race and complete the task the Lord gave me. He wanted to finish his course. I think the King James says joyfully, joyfully with victory. He wants to finish his course. And if you look at verse 24, you'll see three key phrases. He says, my life, the race, and the task or the ministry. He says, my life, the race, and the task or the ministry. I think Warren Wiersbe said it like this. Paul realized that his life was God's gift to him and that God had a special plan for his life. And Paul was devoted to do his part to fulfill it and finish it. What do you think about that? Because that goes for everyone that's hearing me. Paul realized, and we should all realize, that God's, his life, your life is God's gift to you. And how you respond with it. Is your gift to God. That God has a special plan and purpose for you. But we've got to do our part to be devoted. To see that work come to pass. It wasn't again a sprint. It was something that was more of a, a marathon. It wasn't a one time thing. It, it was a lifetime of devotion. But Paul made up his mind as a runner. I'm going to be a finisher. Amen. There's, there's a football coach out there. A coach of the Seahawks. And he has this phrase that he always uses in the locker room. And he'll say, he'll get the team going. He goes, can we win the game in the first quarter? And they all yell, no. Can we win the game in the second quarter? No. Can we win the game in the third quarter? No. Can we win the game in the fourth quarter? Yes. What he's saying is you can be up 100, 100 enough in the first quarter. You haven't won the game. You can't win the game until you get to that fourth quarter. You can't win until you finish. You can look great. You can go four for four and look great. But if there's still another inning, you haven't won it until the game's over. And the Christian has to understand one of the pictures that the Bible gives us of this Christian walk is a race. A runner running a race. And we have to run it away where we don't get disqualified. We have to run it away where we finish. We have to run it away. If we really want to please God, we should run it away where we can do our best in the race God's given us to run. 
And if that means I take off some things on the outward that are hindering me, I do it. If I overcome some things within me that are hindering me, I do it. Because I do my part. Because I want to progress and I want to pass and I want to finish. Let's look at this together. This is good. Paul saying, I'm like a runner. And every one of us should recognize this. Um, look at 2 Timothy 4 and 8. So says, we don't want to just be starters. We want to be finishers. Amen? Paul says, I want to finish the race. Paul says, the thing that matters most is not the applause of men, but the applause of heaven. And I want to get that. I want to finish what God's called me to do. And so we're going to see this throughout the Word of God, that God has called us runners in a race, but only those that finish are going to get the prize. Paul says, now there is in store for me. In fact, go back seven. Would you please? I wrote that wrong. I'm sorry. But verse seven, then we'll get to that. But that's a good verse too. But verse seven, where Paul's going to say, I have fought the good fight. And I have finished. He's in a dungeon. He's just waiting to get literally his head chopped off for Christ. And he's not looking at it. Woe is me. He's saying, man, I finished my race. He says, yeah. Hell threw everything at me. They lied about me. They tried to cheat me. They tried to make names about me. They opposed me everywhere I turned. My own brethren everywhere. But you know what? I didn't give up on Jesus. I didn't say I'm going to give up on the call of God and just go find a little place out somewhere and be lonely, stick my head and eat worms. I, no, 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 no. Paul says, I'm going to obey the Lord. He says, I fought the good fight. Amen? We fight, but it's a good fight. It's a godly fight. It's a Christian fight. We fight. And he said, I finished. That's the key. I finished the race and I've kept the faith. But if you don't keep the faith, you can't finish the race. And then he goes on to write, Therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord Himself will give to us on that day, not only to me, but all of us that long and love His appearing. Don't just start your race. And listen, you might be listening, and maybe you fell off somewhere. Well, listen, it works both ways. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. You might have fallen away, but you can still finish strong. Get up from where you're at, make a fresh commitment to God, and finish your race. You might have gotten lukewarm. Maybe something happened. You got mad at life and mad at God, and now you know you're not where you need to be. Well, I've got good news. He's a God of second chances. He's a God of new beginnings. But you've got to respond. You've got to make a fresh commitment. And then get back in the race. There's still time to be a finisher. We want to finish. And we want to, as we're running, we want to experience progress as we run. The Bible, you know, just like your own kids, you like to see them progress, right? Uh, you want to see them grow and mature, whether it's physically or mentally or whatever. So let's look at the next verse. What do I have up there, guys? Philippians 3. And now as I'm running this race, I'm running this race, I want, I want to make progress. God wants you to make progress. Every year you say, Lord, help me to grow. Next year I don't want to be like this. I want to, be, I want to know you better. I want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit each year. Amen? I want to, I want to touch lives for Jesus throughout this coming year. Uh, we have a goal to grow. But now Paul writes this. Here's Paul again. Not that I've already obtained all this. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I mean, this is something they got caught up into the heavens, raised the dead, built all these churches. And Paul says, I'm not, I haven't arrived yet. So, hey, we haven't arrived yet. Amen. No, no one's arrived yet. And not that I've already arrived or obtained all this, but I'll tell you what I do. I haven't already been made perfect, but I do press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm not there yet, but I'm not lackadaisical about it. I am giving an effort to grow in God. I'm giving the proper effort to mature in my Christian experience. It's not just enough to say the little sinner's prayer and then just don't do any crazy, you know, sinful things and just live your life. No, 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 no. 
Once you come to meet Jesus, then there should be a passionate desire to know him better, to grow in him, to please him. Now, Paul says, listen, I haven't obtained, I'm not there yet. I haven't already arrived, but I press on. I give the effort to grow. I'm trying to make progress in this Christian experience. Now, I joke around. It's like the, the older you get, sometimes, you ever notice the older you get, your house gets longer? I'm, I, try, I try to walk from one end to the other. You're a little stiff and you say, man, this house, I don't remember this house being this long, you know? And I said, you know, we ought to get one of those things, the long house, that ranch house, long house. I said, you know, we ought to get one of those things that got in the airport. You know, you got to sit on it, you stand on it, and it just takes you all the way and you can get off where you need to get off. But, I mean, some people, their Christian experience is like that. They, they just want to get saved and just kind of sit there and, you know, let everyone else, no, 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 no. Paul said, I got saved and I'm going to be diligent to grow in my salvation. I'm going to work out my salvation. I'm going to mature. And I'm going to be stronger in God. And look, it says in verse, verse 13 here, he says, brothers, he says, listen, I, I don't consider myself yet, yet, to have taken hold of it. I'm not there yet. But I can tell you one thing. I do something. I, see, I'm, I got, I'm giving an effort. I'm forgetting what's behind. You just can't let the past be a curse. Can't let the past be a chain. Just can't let the past be a distraction. You remember when they're little, little kids playing peewee football? And a little guy break out in the run and he got a touchdown. He got a touchdown. And what they always do, they always look behind him, trip on their own two feet and go. You know, when you start looking around, that's when you stumble. When you get distracted by things, that's where you lose progress. Isn't it right? You're making progress and something distracts you. And the next thing you know, something's on top of you. <laughs> Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have told. One thing I do. Forgetting what's behind. But look now, this is what Paul did. This is not, listen folks, this is not legalism. This is just maturing Christianity. This is not works. This is just Bible Christianity. Are you with me? Listen, I get saved by grace, but once I'm saved, that grace that saved me works in me to grow in this thing and to mature in this thing and become who God's called me to be. And so Paul says, forgetting what's behind and straining. That means speaking, there's an effort towards what's ahead. I'm giving an effort to grow in Christ. Because I'm running this race, and I'm not just running that one day I can get by and, you know, skin of my teeth. I'm running this race in a way that each day I can grow stronger in the Lord. That each day I can do what God's called me to do and become the one He's calling to become. And while I'm growing this race, some things get thrown off me and some things get placed on me. As I grow in God, more of the old Joel gets discarded, praise the Lord. And more of the Jesus in me begins to develop and grow. Isn't that wonderful? So, so, the, so the guy I was when I began this thing, thank God halfway through, hopefully, I'm more like Jesus than when I started. But he says, I'm straining towards what is ahead. And finally, verse 14 tells us, and I press. And again, straining and press. Those are two words that speak of effort. Do they not? The Christian life is a life of proper effort in our growth towards the Lord. It won't happen by accident. Only thing that happens accidentally, weeds grow accidentally. But nothing good grows accidentally, right? I mean, I press on towards what? The goal. The goal to win the prize for which God has called all of us heavenward in Christ Jesus. So, we're number, Paul says, I'm a runner in a race. And the goal of the runner is to finish the race without being disqualified. I've got to finish the race and not be disqualified. I recognize that I'm not only running the race, as I'm running the race, each one of us should have a goal in our hearts to make progress in our Christian experience. That's what Paul said. Now, it takes a little bit of effort on my part. Coming out on a midweek, you're making effort. You're, you're putting part of that pressing to grow in God. 
You're coming out in praise. Praise and worship was powerful tonight, wasn't it? What a sweet spirit. Oh, like a cloud just came down. It was wonderful. Sometimes you just want to stand there for about a half an hour and just enjoy the cloud of God's presence. Amen? It was just beautiful. It was just, I don't know, just, I, I thought it was beautiful. And, um, and so, but you know what? You, you, you're pressing. You, 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 you got a strain to get your schedule. You had a, you, you make, you're making an effort to, uh, so you can grow, hopefully, so you can enjoy, you enjoy that presence. And hopefully you're getting a word of encouragement. But see, we're doing our part, so, what, so we progress, so we're growing in Christ. You see. I'm going to finish the race. When I finish the race, I want to grow in Christ. Now, if I'm going to grow in Christ, I, I, I need, you know, you guys in the military, you know, you go on those runs, and some of those runs can be tough. Out in the desert, the sand, you're running in sand. It's hard to run. You can't walk in that stuff. They want you to run in that stuff. And you got a load on. you got a backpack, all this stuff. And it's amazing. They let you take that pack off. And, oh, I can run so much better. It's amazing. You feel like... And, and the Bible talks about if we're going to make proper progress in our Christian run, there, there's some things outwardly that we need to be loosed from. But then there's things inwardly we need to overcome. Amen? There's certain things outwardly I have to stop doing, but they're always tripping me up. It's not complicated. I ask myself the question, what hinders my motivation? What is stopping my motivation from going forward? You know, things trip you up. But then sometimes there's things on the inside that are a hindrance. You know, oh, that crazy temper sent me back. You know, I was doing so good. You know. So let's look at this. Um, give me my verses, whatever the next verses are. I'll just, here we go. So here's number one. If I'm going to run this race and I'm going to run it in a way where I can grow and mature, not only finish, but while I'm finishing, progressing God and do His will, I have to take some things off. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us, let us, talking to all of us, let us throw off everything that hinders. Now the picture is of a great amphitheater. And all these, remember this is Hebrews 12, Right before that, a big revelation, Hebrews 11. But Hebrews 11 is that great chapter of faith. Amen? All those heroes of the faith. And the imagery is not so much them watching us. It's the imagery of them speaking and testifying to us. And you hear their lives and you witness their accomplishments. And all those things are encouraging us. We read about Moses a little while ago, right? And that should be encouraging us. Choose the eternal. Lay aside the temporal. Choose it. And so now all those men are talking to us. Those women are talking to us. And as you and I run this race... The Bible says, let us throw off, set aside the things that hinder. You know, there can be things that are not sinful things that hinder us. Amen? Isn't that right? You know, it could be a hobby. It could be a lot of things. Not, not necessarily, but it can hinder, you see. But then, and the sin, then there are some things that are just sinful that easily entangles us, that besetting sin. <laughs> We have to be honest enough in our Christian experience to be able to be honest about ourselves. If you want to grow in anything, if you want to, I don't know, from A to Z, you you name it, whether it's your health, your education, it starts with an honest assessment of where I'm at. If I cannot be honest with where I'm at, it's going to be very hard to make some improvements. Because I'm in la-la land, right? Because I'm in la-la land. I've got to have some honesty. And so when it comes to my Christian experience, I also say, do I have, a, do I have an easily besetting sin? I mean, I, what are the two or three things that you have to watch more than other things? Take an extra look at that. Do we need to do to get rid of that? The Bible says there's things that trip us up and there's things that weigh us down. 
But if I'm going to run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for me, I have to do some laying down of things. I have to strip away some things. Because I want to make progress in this race. And I don't know about you, I just can't stand going one step forward and two steps back. Boy, that frustrates me, amen? I don't mind working hard. I don't mind sweating, but I like to accomplish something. I like to be able to say, we made some goals. Nothing worse than working super hard. You look and say, man, I went an inch. I mean, this stinks, you know. I mean, this is, but, so, um, number one, if I'm going to make progress, there's some things I might have to take off. So I ask myself, are there things that are hindering you in your Christian growth? Are there things that are hindering you? from advancing and going to the next level in your Christian experience? Are there things that are entangling you that really need to be identified and dealt with so you'll be free from those things? So you'll be free from those things. So you can run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Now let's go to, go to the First Corinthians now, okay? Because we're still in the same thought. Paul called himself, Paul called himself a runner. He's going to run the race. And if we're going to run, we're going to be finishers. And not only are we just going to finish the race, just kind of claw to the end, we want to make progress as we run. Amen? We want to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. We want to be fruitful. We want to fulfill our divine calling. We want to bless others along the way. If I'm going to do that, I, make, I give the effort. I press. I, I do what I need to do to, to advance. I recognize there might be some things I've got to lay aside that are holding me back and entangling me. But also, I have to recognize the biggest culprit that I face, that you face, it's not the devil, it's, it's me. Not my brother, not my mother, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in a need of prayer. Amen? I got more problems with old Joe than I got with anyone else. Amen? Uh, that devil, he don't nearly bother me as much as this old, the old Joe. All right? And so that old guy's got to be dealt with, okay? And that's what Paul says. You, you can't treat the flesh lightly. You've got to treat him firmly. Let's see what Paul says. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Okay, so we've got to run in a way that we're going to get the prize, not be disqualified. But look what he says here. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that won't last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Amen. But he says now, we talked about taking things off, but now look at this next verse as it comes up. Therefore, because Paul says, I want, I, want to, I want to get the crown. You want to get the crown? I know you want to get the crown. Amen? You wouldn't be out here tonight if you didn't want to get the crown. Therefore, I do not run like a man aimlessly, and I don't fight like a man beating the air. I'm not just, I've got some focus here. I've got some attention. I've got some discipline. 27. No, in fact, Paul says, I beat my body. He's not talking about this physical body. This hand is pretty neutral. It depends how I use it. I can use this hand to steal, or I can use it to praise the Lord. I can use this hand to strike someone in anger, or I can use this hand to comfort someone and love them. This hand, it just depends who, who's, who, what it's yielded to, the flesh or the spirit, right? Again, these lips, these lips can bless you and encourage you, or these lips can gossip and tear you down. These lips, are they're just neutral. It depends how I use them. Do I use them for the glory of God, or do I use them to express that old nature? You know what I'm saying? That same gift that was a blessing can be when it's not yielded. So Paul says, I beat this old guy. I make it my slave. I get serious about my old nature. How do you do that? Well, stop feeding it so much. Don't feed it so much. Indian, there was a missionary to India, and one of the Indians said, I had a dream 
that there are two dogs fighting within me. One representing good, one representing evil. And the missionary said, well, who won? He said, the one I fed the most. The one I fed the most. I'm going to feed my faith and my spirit. It's going to win if I'm going to feed the flesh. So I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, even after all that I've accomplished, if I don't finish, I won't get the prize. So I'm going to take these things off, but I'm also going to remember, I've got to deal with this guy, okay? He's the biggest one. I've got to learn to get to that cross. I've got to learn to starve my flesh and feed my faith. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. You're so good to us. We thank you for the illustrations you give us of a victorious Christian life. The Apostle Paul, not only a faithful minister, but a victorious Christian. And we thank you for these images that you give us in the Word. The accountant who weighs things, who puts things on the scale of the eternal, so that their life and their passion are pursuing that which really matters. Help us to be like that, Father. And then they're running in a race. We realize... You've called us to finish. If there's someone listening and maybe they've kind of started sputtering, I pray that tonight they're just going to make a fresh little altar when they get home and a fresh commitment. Lord, I'm going to get back in, start doing the things I know I need to be doing. Throw aside the things I need to be thrown aside and start getting things in order because I want to be a finisher and I want to grow as I walk and run this race. Now, Father, bless these dear ones. Use them mightily in this coming week. Give them the desires of their heart and use them to touch others for eternity. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great night.